guys, welcome back to Keeping It OD Podcast and happy Monday. Today I have with me Tisha Johnson, the Senior Director of Admissions at Illinois College of Optometry, or as you may know it as ICO. Um, Tisha spent the last 20 years in higher education working with students from undergrad to professional schools. Her areas of expertise include admissions, minority recruitment and enrollment, and higher education marketing. Um, she also developed and manages the week-long Focus on Your Future Summer program for underrepresented minority students interested in the optometric profession. So in this episode, we'll be answering some of your admissions and program-related questions about ICO. Tisha, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. All right. So the first set of questions I have for you are admissions-related questions. Um, so definitely... You're super involved in that. So the first question um, is kind of the basic question that everyone um, asks when they're interested um, in applying. So what are you guys looking for in an applicant? Sure. So ICO uh, will evaluate an applicant's uh, application from all levels. We will look at academics. So we will look at the trend in grades starting from you know, freshman year up until junior or senior year, whatever we have on file, looking at uh, patterns related to overall GPA versus science GPA. We're gonna look at test scores. We look, uh, we do take the OAT and GRE. So we're gonna look at those and compare those to someone's academic history, um, as well as then sort of the softer side of an application. So looking at somebody's motivation uh, for optometry, their interest in our program, and making sure that they are confident that optometry is the career for them. Awesome. Um, so with um, this um, application cycle, um, are applicants able to be considered for an interview without um, an OAT or a GRE test? Yes, applicants can apply. We do encourage them to put in their planned testing dates. Mm -hmm. uh, because we still do require an OAT or a GRE score, but yes, we do we'll even uh, interview someone without those scores. Their file will get placed on hold until we receive the results, but they shouldn't let that stop them from applying. Awesome. Um, and does ICO follow the um, rolling admissions as well? Yes, we do. So we encourage applicants to apply early in the process. Our deadline is May 1st, but I encourage no one to wait until the deadline especially if you're looking for a scholarship consideration, um, you know, making sure you want to secure a seat in the program and also allowing us to work with you. So if we maybe need more coursework or a updated set of test scores, applying early really works in your favor for that, waiting till May 1st, knowing that we're going to start school in uh, mid-August may hamper someone's plan to have a successful application cycle. So definitely applying earlier can, can work and be beneficial for applicants. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you did say that when looking at someone's application, you guys look at the um, grade trends. So does that to say that you don't have like a dead um, minimum or cutoff for GPAs or OAT scores? Uh, correct. We don't have a minimum OAT, GRE, or, you know, uh, GPA score. We'll look at, you know, sometimes applicants will start college and have a rough transition, maybe from high school to college. 
but we will look to see what you've done year over year, quarter over quarter, semester over semester. So if you've had a rough start or had a hiccup in any of your programming, we wanna see what happens after that. Were you able to seek help, whether it's with tutors, your professors, um, maybe it was a medical issue. Now, are you on the rebounding? You're doing better. And so how are your grades improving You know, over time is what we're, we really look at. Awesome. Um, so you guys have an international program. Now, are you involved with the admissions for that program? Yeah, yeah. Um, our office handles all admissions. So for applicants who are coming, um, you know, into the U.S., most of our applicants that are international are actually Canadian. Um, so they go through a run process. It's very similar to what our domestic students will do um, when applying to ICL. Okay, and it's the same requirements, um, same application, I'm assuming? Yes, uh, I think the only thing that would be different is if a student who is an international student and if their schooling was outside of the U.S. or Canada, then they would need to submit um, a transcript evaluation. So there are a couple of companies that we utilize where they will send the transcript to that company and then the company will send the official report to OptomCast and ICO on the applicant's behalf. And in some cases for students to English may be a second language or their schooling, their undergrad schooling was in a foreign language, then we may require them to take the TOEFL exam. Those are sort of the only two things that are different in the admissions process for international applicants. Awesome, sounds great. Um, so now come some questions about interviews. So for this cycle, are you guys doing virtual interviews or in-person or a mix of both? We're doing both. We're doing both, okay. Um, so how can an applicant prepare for interview day at ICA, whether that being um, virtual over Zoom or in-person? Kind of um, run me through the schedule, um, the time expectation, um, and a little bit of the formatting of the interview. Sure. So what um, both our interview in person and uh, virtual have in common is that you're going to meet the mission emissions team and you're going to have three presentations. We are going to cover financial aid with our assistant director of financial aid. We're going to cover career development um, with our director of career development. And then we're gonna also cover student success. And that's gonna be with our assistant dean for student success. So they are going to talk with applicants about the programming that we offer, the support services, how the financial aid process works. And on interview day, students will have opportunities to engage with current students virtually. They have, a, they have about a 90 minute window where they can uh, be in a, a group session with their students and ask questions. That's pretty much the same for in-person and that we'll have ambassadors with the students and they're there to answer questions. But if you're doing in-person interviews, you're also gonna take a campus tour. We know that's important for applicants as well as have lunch with students. So you definitely have more engaging opportunities with students when you're in-person, but we still wanna make sure that students who are interviewing virtually have that opportunity to engage with students. And our students are actually getting assigned ambassadors. So even before they get to campus, they do have a student to engage with, to ask questions with, to even prepare um, before their arrival to ICO, whether virtually or in person. Awesome. Um, so for the interview portion itself, um, is it a group or one-on-one -on -one interview? 
Um, it's one-on-one -on -one open file. So it will be with a faculty member or an administrator such as myself conducting the interview. Awesome. And um, can you talk a little bit about the applicant host program um, for um, applicants? Sure. So applicants who are coming to ICL to interview, they have the opportunity to stay in our residential complex, we call it the RSC, the night before their interview free of charge. And in that program, they will, when they get invited to interview, they'll receive a link to go out to our website to get information about the program. They'll submit a request. And once that request has been fulfilled, they get assigned a student ambassador who is a student who currently lives in the RSC. And so they will engage with um, the applicants, see if they have any questions, answer their questions. But when they get to campus, if they have, um, depending on what time the student is getting to campus, if they have that opportunity, our interviewee and our current student will meet up. So they'll meet up, see if they have any questions about, you know, tomorrow, what they're gonna be doing for their interview and just ser ser serving as a resource for them, um, to be quite honest. And so they then the morning of their interview, they check out of the RSC, come across the streets um, to the main campus and get prepared for their interview day. That's awesome. I think you guys might be one of the only schools that actually um, offer something like this. So definitely um, an incentive for applicants to pick the in-person interview option without having to worry about um, hotel costs or anything. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, we've been doing that. I've been at ICL February 16 years, and we've been doing that since I've been here and probably even long before that. But it definitely is helpful for people who are coming into town, especially if they're only coming for one night, to be able to not have to worry about finding a hotel, though we do have some hotels we partner with. But it's nice to be on campus and get that campus feel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you did say that students, current students, live in that residential complex. Correct. Most students who live there are going to be first year students. Um, I would say a good maybe 70% of the first year class will stay there each year. That number can fluctuate. And then we do have students who are second through fourth year who will reside in the RC. On the top floor of the RC, we have apartments, one to three bedroom apartments. And then on floors one through three, we have suites. So just like a college suite, double doubles or double in a single. Awesome. That's definitely good to hear. I'm also not sure how many programs um, offer this option, but I know a lot of people who especially are going out of state for school um, will prefer to stay on campus just for the first year to get a feel of the new city. So it's definitely um, good to know for sure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's what a lot of students do. Once they get acclimated to professional school life, Chicago, they end up moving out. They made friends. And sometimes those uh, friends uh, end up becoming their roommates in an apartment that's nearby. Yep. All right. So um, for uh, the applicant review process, so after you've um, completed your interview day at ICO, um, kind of what's the time around? Like, do you get feedback, whether that's being congratulations, you're accepted, or we regret to inform you, um, can't you know offer you a seat this cycle? Do you get feedback regardless? And kind of what's the turnaround time um, students should be expecting a response from you guys? Yes, well, typically we tell students that they usually will hear back from us within one to two weeks. The admissions committee typically will meet each week. So it's a pretty quick turnaround time. 
Um, we do give them the different decisions that they can receive in the process and explaining those decisions and they, we follow up that with an email. So we have four different decisions that applicants can, uh, their file can be placed into from accepted, um, uh, an alternate list being placed on hold or an application being denied. Um, we explain the deposit process as well for our applicants, letting them know, you know, you have 30 days to get your deposit submitted to us what the deposit amount is, which is currently $750 for students. And also in their notification, if they're accepted, we also tell them if they've been awarded a scholarship. So all of that information is pretty upfront for applicants. So when they leave interview day, they have an idea of when they should expect, uh, expect to hear from us, what type of decisions we're going to um, issue, and if they're gonna be awarded a scholarship or not, and knowing that it's gonna be in their decision letter. Awesome. Um, so you did mention scholarships. So you don't, are there any that you have to apply to per se, or are you considered for all scholarships that apply to your circumstance and grades and whatnot? Yeah, so students actually do not have to apply for scholarships. Uh, any incoming scholarships we have, they are awarded um, directly to the student in terms of we'll look at your file and friend, those who've been accepted can fall into sort of one of three buckets that we have in terms of incoming scholarships for students. Awesome, okay. So um, these are all the admissions related questions I have for you. Um, now we're gonna talk a little bit more about the um, program itself. Um, so can you just give us a little bit of an overview of um, what the curriculum is like at ICO? Do international and regular OD programs take the same classes? Um, when do they start clinics? Um, so on and so forth. Sure, so for the clinical program, uh, we only have, a well, actually for our program, we only have one program, that's the OD program. Students um, who are coming in in terms of international students all fall into the bucket of uh, regular OD programming. We do accept students or accept applications from those who may be clinically trained as an optometrist in other countries. And we have what we call an advanced standing path where students who, if they've been uh, clinically trained as an OD in another country, can apply for advanced standing is not necessarily granted for everyone. And so that's sort of the only case. And maybe even if somebody attended another optometry school where students may be able to be placed into an, an upper class, but that's sort of a rarity. So everybody who's coming in for most cases are gonna be starting as a first year in our program. Awesome. And um, for the didactic years, are um, that the first two years, or when do students start seeing patients in clinic? Yeah, so our students will start in year one. We have a sequence of courses that are called uh, clinical methods, and that's where our students are going to start learning how to do uh, use the equipment. And so in our winter quarter first year, students will then start getting hands-on experience. They'll be partnering with a fellow ICO student who will be a third year student. And so as they progress through their uh, clinical methods course and getting familiar with the equipment, then they start working with patients that they've been assigned to in the clinic and working with their uh, third year students. As they progress through um, the program on to second year and second year, your clinical experience will be two second year students partnering together to provide eye care to patients within our clinic. 
and what we implemented, which was new this year. And the third quarter, we're on quarters here at ICO, which starts in spring. And that spring quarter is usually um, starting at the end of February. And third quarter, then as the second year, our students are gonna see patients by themselves. So we definitely have evolved from the time that I've been at ICO to students only seeing patients in third year now to getting hands-on experience as early as first year and progressing through the program. Each year adding more and more experience to that. Awesome. So um, you start seeing patients OD1 the first quarter, is that right? Um, uh, yes, OD1 is more of sort of like observation, but then uh, your OD1 in your second quarter is where you're starting getting that hands-on experience. Awesome, that's great. I think probably um, one of the earlier um, times where students um, get to be in the clinic, which is great. Um, and you did mention um, equipment. So now is that um, included in the tuition um, estimated for students or is that an additional cost? Yes, tuition uh, uh, equipment cost is going to be an additional cost. And I always encourage students to definitely check out our website to get a estimated cost of attending so they can see our tuition, our fees, the estimated cost for equipment during their first year in the program, as well as then subsequent years when you're then buying uh, more equipment. Yeah. Um, so do you guys host like an equipment fair or um, how do students get their um, equipment? We do host an equipment fair and that is typically during orientation or soon thereafter orientation for first year students where we have various vendors in our gymnasium here on campus and students get a chance to go around the room, you know, testing equipment, getting a feel for it. They usually will ask questions of their orientation team leads about, all right, so what should I select? You know, what is the difference between brand A and brand B? And so, we encourage them to use the current students as a resource, but ultimately knowing that they're going to have to you know, make that decision. But we do a fair so they get a chance to see the different equipment that's out there and ultimately come to a decision on what they want to use for clinic. Awesome. That's great. Good to know. Um, so roughly, um, do you know how many patients students get to see by the end of their program? You know, I think that number has varied and I would have to see um, sort of where we are. I know a few years ago, students were at about a 1500 to 1600 count, but because we've had students now having experiences earlier in the program, I'm not sure if that number has, has changed or not. All right, so that's just kind of the ballpark, um, 1500, give or yeah. take more. Yeah, but I can definitely check and let you know, but. I would say 1,500 is a ballpark number. Okay. Um, and what is the patient population like in Chicago, Illinois? So what kind of um, cases, diseases that um, your students are exposed to when they're in the clinic? Sure. So our patient population is mainly made up of underrepresented, underserved patients. So our students are going to see a lot of patients who are coming in with complex issues. You know, you see your uh, fair share of healthy patients. I happen to be a patient in the IEI, uh, pretty straightforward. I think eye exam with contacts and glasses, um, but you're going to see patients who are coming in with other systemic issues that will impact their vision. So whether they are hypertensive, they are diabetic, um, and then they are coming in because they also have glaucoma. 
So you're going to see a lot of complex cases, a lot of things that students will learn in class. They end up seeing within a pretty short time in terms of a patient presenting um, with those issues within our clinic. Currently, we are seeing over 110,000 patients a year. So just a true diversity in what students are going to see, which I always tell prospective students, that's what makes our uh, alumni great clinicians. It's really going to be that patient experience that you're going to get within the IEI. Yeah, absolutely. And do students get to do um, community outreach? So any um, mobile clinics, um, mission trips, anything like that? Yeah, so we have a couple of different things. So in second year, students do have an option of doing community screening, a community screening program. Um, students also have the option during third year to do a mission trip. We have a SPOSH club on campus and they typically are going to uh, underserved countries and seeing their uh, optometric patients there. I was able to participate in the mission trip back in 27. So it was wonderful to see our current students, well, they're alumni now, but at that time, see our students um, do what they've trained the last three years to do. And our students are still doing mission trips. We just had one back in August uh, to St. Lucia. Um, so yeah, so students on our campus do have an opportunity to give involved where there's gonna be within the Chicagoland area of going abroad to do uh, mission work. That's awesome. Um, so you did mention a couple of student organizations. Um, are there more student organizations for things like a private practice, um, ocular disease, anything like that? Yeah, we have, I, I want to say it's like over 25 different student organizations here on campus. And I always encourage students, when you get into optometry school, if you see that there is a, a club, um, that is sort of maybe missing from our lineup of clubs, definitely start one. We've had our Black Student Union, which was started a few years ago. Um, we've had ABLE um, start as well. And ABLE uh, is working, it stands for All Bonding Through Life and Eyes. And that's a mental health group run uh, by students for students. We have honor societies, we have optometric organizations on campus. Um, Queer Eye is one of another organizations that recently started within a few years. So we have, I think, something for everyone. And if something's missing as a student, get some friends together, uh, work with student affairs and um, being able to launch a new student organization, we are, are definitely open to that. So I would encourage students to, if they see a need is not being met, take up that charge, uh, become a student leader and, and work with us on setting up a new student organization. That's great. And definitely as um, future optometrists of America, you want to have um, you know, the will to lead um, and create an opportunity if you see that your needs not being met for sure. Definitely. All right, so um, this next topic, you know, it might be a little sensitive for some, but failure is something that no one ever plans on. It's never anticipated, but it could happen. It's bad to happen. Um, how do you support your students if they're ever in that situation? Yes, I, I think it's an important topic to talk about. You know, being here for as long as I have, I've, I've seen students sort of run and hide from it. Nobody wants to discuss it, but I think it definitely is important to discuss. So as I mentioned um, earlier, during our interview day, um, our dean or assistant dean for student success, she is 
while everybody is in charge of, you know, students being successful on campus, she serves as sort of the point person, if you will, for different programming that we have on campus and working with our academic administration and making sure that students are, um, are doing well in the program. So we do have a robust tutoring program. So generally all first and second year classes have tutors and these are gonna be tutors that are selected by the faculty and students who've earned A in the course. We do have a peer coaching program. So maybe it's not the academic side that's the issue. So for some students, maybe it's the adjusting to professional school life, um, maybe adjusting to being in a new city, making new friends. So you want someone who's been through the program to sort of offer advice and guide you in terms of things you can be doing sort of outside of ICL, but then also talking to you about um, things maybe like homesickness. Like I said, you know, coming to a new city, new state, new program could be challenging and you don't have those comforts of home, uh, but how to adjust to professional school life. Our faculty um, are there for students as well. So they have office hours and we encourage our students to reach out to faculty. Um, we have a program that sort of has, has evolved over the years, but um, it's this year it's called Faculty Connects and it connects a student with a faculty member. So they have sort of like a faculty mentor, um, but all of our faculty and even our staff are here for our students. So we encourage them to definitely, I, I feel like it's more of like a speak up. If you need assistance, definitely reach out. Don't run and hide because we're on quarters. Those quarters go by pretty quickly. Unlike a semester where you have 16 weeks, we're at 12 weeks, where it's 10 weeks of class, a week of finals, and then break weeks. So it's important to, if you feel you're struggling, address it sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And that's great that you guys have the um, faculty mentorship program. Um, as someone who's in their first year, um, I've been assigned a faculty advisor, and I could definitely say okay. that um, the insight you get from a faculty member um, is definitely uh, very, very good, um, especially when you're navigating you know, a new city, a new program um, could definitely be very helpful. Yes, definitely. And a lot of ICO alumni, some aren't. And I, I think that works just as well. And just being able to assist students and letting them know it is going to be okay. You may not, you know, get that A or you may get a D in a course on your first exam. Um, and it doesn't sort of make or break you. It's, it's sort of what you do from that point on that helps you with your coursework. In our program, students doing starting the third week of class will have weekly exams. So it helps them get an idea of where they may have any weaknesses, where their strengths are, and sort of can also help them tailor then their study habits for those courses. Absolutely. Um, so speaking of exams, um, big exams are national board exams, of course. Um, so at ICO, how do you prepare your students um, to sit for part one and part two? Sure, so it's definitely that time of year on campus. I'm seeing a lot of uh, test prep books uh, for my third year students um, studying. So what we offer our students is typically starting in January, we will have uh, refresher sessions. Faculty will um, meet with students and do refresher sessions on things, of course, that you're learning, you know, in your, that you've learned in your first years. This is anatomy, um, physiology, optics, et cetera. The way our program is also structured, being on quarters in February, mid-February to end of February, when we start our spring term, 
third-year students do not have any class responsibilities. They will have clinics, so they do need to report for their clinic assignments, but they have no classes. So between uh, end of February up until board prep, you know, that's additional time that they're granted so they can study or taking the boards, yeah. Awesome. Do you guys host any like KMK weekends or anything, or is that up to the students um, to kind of arrange for themselves? Uh, I believe it's one of our student organizations that will um, sub the KMK studies, but KMK does come on campus and they usually come in January and do KMK weekends. So we do have that as well for students. There is a fee for that, um, but the college does facilitate um, having KMK come on campus for students who want to participate. Awesome. Um, so that covers one through third year. Um, now comes fourth year um, where students go out on their externships. Um, so where can students um, at ICO extern during their fourth year? Sure. So we have um, affiliated externship sites. We have over 155 uh, representing uh, 44 different states and five countries. So we have Australia, Canada, um, China, Spain, and the United Arab Emirates. So students can really, you know, they, they have really a, a pick of places that they can go in terms of externships. We find, of course, that the Canadian sites is mostly our Canadian students who are, are looking to go back to Canada, maybe even be plus, uh, maybe even be closer to home um, for that externship. So um, I, I do find that our site in Australia and our site in China were very popular, you know, pre-pandemic. Um, for our students as well. Awesome. And are you um, are you aware if they're um, back for this year's externship or not yet? You know, I, I have not heard. So I'm assuming they are, are not back um, in motion yet for our students, but hopefully, you know, in the near future that they will be, but I would have to check to see, but I haven't heard that they have resumed um, accepting our students. Right. Um, and do they have to do any um, rotation during their fourth year in-house or um, can they just do all of them um, outbound? Currently, they are uh, required to do at least one rotation in the IEI. Awesome. And do you guys facilitate housing if they um, are going to a different um, state or country or do they have to figure that out? Yes, most students are using Airbnb or extended stay um, hotels for options. And, and some, if they are close to family or friends, end up you know, staying there when they're on their externship rotations. Uh, there are some rotations that actually provide housing. They are a few, um, but most students, again, are either going to be doing Airbnb, extended stay, or staying you know, with family during their externship rotations. Awesome. Um, so these are all the questions I have for you about the program. Um, but just one last question, um, as someone who's lived in Chicago for a long time, and maybe um, this could help someone who's considering ICO, but is kind of unsure of what life in Chicago is like, can you just give us some of your favorite recommendations, things to do, um, obviously, when they're not studying, um, so that they can get out there and um, experience the city? Sure. I, I say Chicago is a, a great city, whether you want small or you want big. Um, we have venues that you can go and watch, you know, various sports um, like the United at the United Center, which has our Bulls, our Blackhawks. But if you want something smaller, we have, you know, smaller arenas where 
we have uh, sports, but then also performers coming through. Um, so I tell students, definitely don't think of it. Oh, it's a big city and it's a lot of, of moving parts. There are parts of Chicago that will have you thinking that you're in more of a rural area or more suburban area. Um, born and raised in Chicago, I love it for its food. A lot of people may be familiar with um, the famous popcorn that's here in Chicago, as well as our deep dish pizza. But I say we're definitely more than that. Those are great starting points, but I encourage students to try some of the many ethnic restaurants that we have within the city of Chicago. Like I said, it has something for everyone. And what ICO is location. We are about four blocks from our lakefront, Lake Michigan. And so if somebody's an avid biker, jogger, they can run from our campus and uh, get up to Lake Michigan and run pretty much up and down the lakefront. There's like a continuous continuous path. So there's no point which, in which they need to get off so they can go as far as um, the north side of Chicago to the far south of Chicago. Um, so it definitely has a, a lot of activities and events that take place throughout the year. We sort of have a rejuvenation in the summer. Once summer hits, we have a lot of festivals um, in the various neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. So there's a little bit of something for everyone. So I encourage students to definitely um, even reach out to the admissions team. Um, all three of us were, um, are Chicagoans born and raised here and can definitely provide some insight about what it's like to live in the city of Chicago, as well as our current students. I think they try to, when they're in the program, make sure that they are, you know, getting away from campus. I think it's important to, for, of course, focus on your studies, but you need to have some time where you're able to step away, engage, have a little bit of fun uh, before coming back to hitting the books. Yes, absolutely. And if you're going to be there for four years, um, you might as well get around, you know, make it your home for four years, for sure. Exactly. Yeah, that's what we say. Make it your home. Um, and always, you know, if you have, rec if they're looking for recommendations uh, to reach out to us, but then also some of our student bloggers talk about their experiences um, in Chicago, where they've gone to different restaurants, maybe coffee shops that um, they like to go and study. So I encourage students to check out our blog. Um, as well as our Instagram page to sort of get the students' perspective on life in Chicago. Awesome. Well, Tisha, thank you so much uh, for being our guest today. This was a very helpful episode. Oh, thank you uh, for having me. It was very nice to uh, participate. So that is all I have for you guys this week. I hope you enjoyed listening and found it helpful. And I did confirm with Ms. Johnson that students usually tend to see around 1,500 patients by the end of their program. And unfortunately, overseas externship sites are currently closed for students, but hopefully in the future, um, they will reopen and ICO students will have that opportunity to go overseas for their externship rotations. And that is all for this week. I will see you right back here next week with a brand new episode interviewing Salus Optometry. And as always, we'll be keeping it OD. Thank you guys.